Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, Bill and Marcus share their captivating journey from rural Pennsylvania to a Portuguese mountaintop. Discover how they overcome challenges, embrace a new culture, and found the dream life with a bio pool. Stay tuned for their life-changing adventure. Hey, Kaylee and Josh. Hey, how's it going, Dan? Hi, Dan. Man, I'm doing well. We're back at it again. Now, you guys are about ready to wrap up your tour of the U.S. and hop on a cruise ship. Is that right? Yep, that's right. We have uh, had a very fast two weeks uh, being back in the States, and we're preparing to jump on a cruise. Nice. Yeah, it has gone by really fast, and it's been really great to see family and friends, but I don't know. I don't know about you, Josh. I'm really looking forward to this cruise. Two weeks. The only hesitation I think would be is if Sia gets some sort of like seasickness, which she's been on small boats before, but hopefully no motion sickness there because then it'll be a long two weeks. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's been interesting because we've we've blocked out this kind of four weeks or four and a half weeks of time. And I feel like the first half of our trip has absolutely flown by. Like two weeks went by so fast. And I bet it did. I don't know. I feel like we could have. Definitely spent another week with family and just getting to see them and catch up with them. Yeah, yeah. I think we maybe maybe should have done three weeks, you think, back in the States rather. It's just tough. Yeah, it's hard Schedule-wise. to be away, you know, to be away from Porto for so long. Obviously, C is out of school, which was what was really sweet is her teacher asked to Zoom while uh, being away. So we actually oh, did that nice. today, which was nice. She could see the class and they were all excited and waving at each other and blowing kisses. So that was a lot of fun. But 
That's cool. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to be gone longer than a month from Porto just for work stuff, for life stuff. What do you think? Yeah, work stuff and life stuff for sure. I mean, there's our friends back in Porto that uh, I definitely want to see and catch up with and kind of see what's changed over the past month. Uh, but I mean, yeah, overall, I think our time spent with family, it's not been long enough. I think we'll have to plan a little differently next time. How do we plan differently? More time. <laughs> <Spend> more time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, going transatlantic and doing this cruise, that's, that's two weeks of being on a ship. Yeah. Granted, we are with your families. Yeah. My parents will be on there, but I just think it'll be nice, uh, a relaxing way to get back to Europe. I mean, a hundred percent. See, you did That'll well. be a great way to travel. See, you did well on the flight over here, but nine hours, you know, and we had three flights. Man, that's a long time for a kid. Nine hours was a long one, you know, not ideal. So I'm, I'm very happy to not be doing that on the way back and doing something different. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be actually a fun way to compare the two, right? It'll be a fun way to compare like how is it traveling via boat versus that that flight, that three, you know, three flight trip back to the U.S.? Yeah. Like, will this be the new norm? One leg will be a flight and then another will be a be. cruise. <laughs> it could be. Listen, I've, I've scouted out some prices and it definitely could be. Like, if you take an internal room, uh, you can get one of these transatlantic ships for $7.99 to $9.99 a person. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously wow. you have to have double occupancy in the cabin, but I mean, like if, if you're trying to break it down, like per day cost, you have your food and your, your hotel or your room paid for, uh, for under a hundred bucks a night, which is crazy. And as long as you're not going crazy on the extra things that you can spend money on, then. Oh, I don't, I don't spend extra money. No, no. We know <laughs> do the, the alcohol packages or something. You got to drink too much for those on a cruise. Yeah. You drink too yourself much, into you oblivion. Get your money's worth it. It's just, it's not nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, Problem is, when you buy a singular drink on those cruises, it's really expensive. Yeah, like you gotta... 10, 12 bucks. We have to maximize our uh, our wine limit, I think, that you can bring on. I think each person With gets... With the bottles. Yeah, I think yeah. each person gets two for right? this one. I think each adult gets two. All right. Well, what's been the best part of the whole trip so far? Yeah, I mean, I think sentimentally, the best part of the trip so far has just been seeing family. And I would say... If I had to dive even deeper in on that, I would say Valencia interacting with her cousins. Yeah, definitely. Right? So she has two cousins on, on my side, uh, Oliver and Lucy Claire, and then she has three cousins on Kaylee's side. Yep. Talis, Eliana, and Mila. And they're, they're younger. Like, on my side's a little younger than Josh's side, but all of them have just been so great with her. Amazing. Yeah. It, like, sitting back and watching it, you know, unfold in front of our eyes. It's like, oh, I wish that we were able to give her more of these opportunities to interact with her, with her cousins. Now, I will say this, we have worked really hard over the past week or so on trying to convince all of them to plan a trip to visit us in Europe and in, in Portugal more specifically, but in Europe in general, we, we told them like, look, you make it to Europe, we'll meet you somewhere. Yeah, we'll definitely meet some of them anywhere, really. And, um, we talked to my brother about actually Iceland. Iceland's a place that I haven't, we haven't been yet, and I would really like to see the Northern Lights. So it's like they're up in the Northeast. So I'm like, it's kind of like halfway. Let's do Iceland, and they kind of like the idea. Now that the kids are a little older, because they're a family of five, so just those there flights and stuff. Yeah, I already scouted out flights for them because their <laughs> home airport is Baltimore, but they can also easily get to DC, and they've got direct flights that go up to Iceland. 
under 400 bucks a person. So that's not bad. Oh, you man. Know? You can't beat yeah. that. So I think, I think cool. we've got a few of them yeah. thinking it through, whatever that might be, whether it's to Portugal or somewhere else where we can meet them. So yeah. that's good. What was the, your favorite thing? I think, I mean, you're right. My favorite thing was just getting to watch Sia interact with the cousins, but the, everyone in the family. I mean, let's be honest. We come back to the U.S. and family, you know, the grandparents, they want to see Valencia more than us. Uh, you know, that's always the joke. I know what you that have feels kids, like. That that's how it works. But We took a backseat. <laughs> yeah. So just being able to see her just interact with all the family members and even meeting some friends, some of our friends, especially some that knew her and met her before we left because we left when she was nine months. And so for them to see how different she is, uh, that was just a lot of fun. That was the best part. Nice. Well, this week, Josh met with Bill and Marcus, and you guys, I love these dudes. They are living my dream life. Yeah. I mean, just seeing kind of the the transition that they made from the U.S. to Lisbon and then Lisbon on has been incredible. Yeah. These guys are, are risk takers, and they seem to really know what they want, and they go after it. And I, I really appreciate that about both of them. I agree completely. Kaylee, where'd you find these guys? I think they actually reached out to us on social media, didn't they? Didn't they write you, Josh? Yes, they they reached out to me on Instagram, I believe it was. Yeah, they're big on the gram. Immediately, I felt like we needed to figure out how to tell their story. I mean, I would love to go out there and shoot a YouTube video of their property. And they've invited us out there, which is nice. They have done that. They did. They did. I would love to go out there and film their property because, um, as you'll hear in this episode, they talk about kind of what they've done and where they live. And we have not filmed very much. Uh, in any of the remote areas in Portugal. So I think it would be neat to show that side of Portugal because there are a lot of these small towns that people can kind of dig into and, and make a way of life. And that would be cool to show because we've not done that. We've done kind of the bigger cities and towns, which makes sense. But I think it'd be cool to get out there and do a YouTube video. I agree. But with kind of the conversations that we were having on Instagram, I felt like it fit perfectly for a podcast. Something a bit more longer format, right? Just really to talk about it and dig in. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing you guys probably could have talked for much longer than you did, right? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we really kind of, well, the episode length is quite long, but yeah, we really could have spent another 20, 30 minutes unpacking some medical stuff that they had dealt with. That was fascinating. Right. We just ran out of time. Listener, during the interview, if you want to see where they live, make sure that you follow them on Instagram. There is a link in the show notes uh, right next to their name to their Instagram, and it is worth it. Their property is beautiful. Well, listener, we've got some great questions for our Q&A episode, and we have room for a few more. So if you would like a question answered by us here on the podcast, then email podcast at expatseverywhere.com. That's right. Make it good and send those to podcast at expatseverywhere.com. Thank you, guys. And we'll be back with Bill and Marcus right after this. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. Worldpost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. Amazon purchases. Amazon the purchases. US. And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. 
She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location, in a livable location, until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Well, thank you all so much for, for joining us on Let's Move to Portugal. It's a pleasure for me to, to finally get to catch up with you all after exchanging emails and getting a backstory on your story. Why did you decide to move to Portugal? What were some of the determining factors in moving to Portugal for you? Well, in 2018, a very good couple of friends of ours had asked us to go to Barcelona with them on a two-week vacation. And I had never been to Europe before. Marcus had been to Germany many years ago in a service. So after some discussion, we decided to spend two weeks with our friends, Mary and Joe in Barcelona, and had an incredible time. Just an absolute amazing time between the food and the architecture and the culture and the people. We, we just felt really drawn to the city. So while we were there, we did some small day trips. We went to Sitges. We went to Montserrat. So when we came home, we thought, you know what? In three to five years, when I'm 59 and a half, we're going to move to Spain. So um, through a series of events, we ended up in Portugal. And I'll let Marcus talk a little bit about why we ended up in Portugal instead yeah. of Spain. So what had happened? Bill had gotten downsized at his job and took a package and... We lived in a rural area in Pennsylvania. We were lucky enough to be able to do our jobs semi-remotely. Um, so living in a rural area was easy. But then when Bill had to change companies, the choices were very limited where we lived. And so we would have had to have moved to an urban center like New York City or Washington, D.C. for him to find equivalent employment. And then we started really thinking like, okay, well, we have to move or do we? And we just moved to Spain now. 
And in the end, what happened was we just, we went through interviews with our financial planner and all of that. And we decided on a budget that we could start executing today. And that would take us through to our normal retirement disbursements. But then after we told all of our friends we were moving to Spain, it ends up that Spain is not as quite as easy to move to when you're older, if you have health issues, um, Bill's diabetic, we're both overweight, getting insurance coverage in Spain was not easy for us. So that led us to think like, okay, well, where else can we go? And we started doing more research and Portugal came up and we had never been to Portugal, but Portugal kept bubbling up to the top of every list. So we said, okay, well, maybe this is, we already decided we were leaving. And once that decision is made, mentally, there's just no going back, right? So we had already For left sure. the country in our heads. Yep. So we said, okay, I guess we're going to Portugal. And we had plan B and plan C and plan D in our head, but Portugal came up to the top of the list and we took a trip there in July after we had already sold our house, sold our cars, liquidated everything we owned, moved into our friend's summer house while we waited for our visa to come due. I mean, we did do some research. You know, we watched every YouTube video available about Portugal, including expats everywhere. <laughs> So thank you very much. So yeah, we just, we went in July, we got our, our NIF back then. It was a lot easier where we were coming from. You only needed a three month rental to get your visa and all that. So the rules have changed obviously, uh, but we got our NIF, set up our bank account, set up our rental. And we decided in February, we were, we were leaving the country and in October we were moved into Morisco. So it was really a rapid transition for us. Interesting story. Wow. We were in Barcelona in October of 2018, and we actually moved to Portugal October 1st of 2019, just one year later. Yeah. I've been arrived here with six suitcases. We literally sold everything that we owned yeah. and started over. Wow. So why? We wanted to retire early. And that's, that's the short answer, right? We wanted to retire early, and doing that in the United States is almost impossible. Um, whereas here it's totally possible. Okay. So first of all, Marcus, thank you so much for your service. Um, we really appreciate that. Right. Why do you think so many Americans start with, Hey, let's move to Spain. We hear that all the time. And Kaylee okay. and I, we actually first got our journey abroad started in Spain, but I'm curious to hear from you. Why, why Spain? Well, we had some experience there. We'd spent a couple of weeks. The people are very lively and, for the most part, very welcoming. Um, the food was great. The architecture was very interesting. Um, we thought living in Barcelona would be great because we were a half-hour train ride to Sitges. You know, um, we're near the ocean. The weather's good. There's a lot of cultural events happening. But I, I think culturally... Spain just has better press too. Like it's it's bigger, yeah, and there's more more people know about it. Right, Portugal is this little country in right. Europe that most Americans, and to admit, most of us are geographically challenged. Right, yep. you know, we've all heard of Spain. Many Americans just don't even know Portugal exists. I'm sure they do now, but go back five years and start asking that question. Uh, I think people just didn't know. About it. I'm curious, Josh, what you think though, because I do believe it's true culturally. The Spanish people are a little bit more outgoing and a little more lively, where the Portuguese people are very friendly and welcoming, but a little more reserved. At least that's our experience. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. I would say that that's true. I mean, from my experience, um, the interesting thing about Spanish and Portuguese, from my point of view, is that you do have that idea or that feeling that Spanish people have more energy, they're, they're livelier, they're more open, and Portuguese seem a bit more conservative. However, I find that at least in Madrid, because that's where we knew a lot of Spanish people, uh, it's a little faker. It's a little like cosmopolitan and your relationships with people aren't as deep as what you would find in, at least in the north of Portugal. Now, I think maybe the same could be true in Lisbon, where maybe you're dealing with capital European capital mindset people uh-huh. where the relationships aren't as deep and meaningful. Uh, hopefully that there are some, some expats in Lisbon who would prove me wrong. Um, I, I hope that's the case, but I find that the people we meet from Portugal seem to be more genuine, even uh-huh. though it is definitely harder to have a deeper relationship with them yeah. compared to meeting another expat or even Spanish people that are, are really open and outgoing and lively. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So we spent two years in Lisbon and we really liked it a lot. I mean, we bought a small apartment. We were a 20 minute Metro ride to the airport and our initial plan was to travel and see Europe. And then five months into a COVID happened. So that kind of crushed our big plan, right? So here we are at a 55 square meter apartment. Luckily, we had a a nice terrace to spend some outside time. But, you know, the first quarantine was kind of fun. We were having video happy hours with our friends. And, you know, by the second quarantine, it was not fun. Yeah. (laughs) Second quarantine was in the winter. It was a cold, wet winter. Um, So going outside wasn't an option. And so we just sat and watched as politics went crazy in the United States, even crazier than it was. We had nothing left to do but just sit and watch it. And it was just, it was infuriating to be stuck in a building. And really what it came down to is Lisbon, as much as the culture is fantastic, the light in that city, I still, it's magical. Every time I go there and I just look around at sunset and the buildings start to glow and it's, it is an amazing place to be. We made some really good friends there. I'll be one of the people that challenges you to say deep relationships may not happen in the capital city. Please. We made some really good Portuguese friends in Lisbon who still come to visit us out in the country today. And um, it was a great city. But what we realized about ourselves is that we are actually rural-oriented people. We came from a rural area. We said, let's move to Portugal and let's move to a big city all at the same time. It was overwhelming. And half the time we couldn't decide why we were overwhelmed. Are we overwhelmed because we left the United States, because we're living in Portugal, or because we're living in a city, which if you don't come from a city is very overwhelming. So for sure. And we were newly required, you know, so yeah, and, and we retired. I had a lot of time on our, on our hands and that time we thought was going to be spent traveling, obviously changed yeah yeah Yeah. there was just a lot of change happening all at the same time yeah so to give the listener a point of reference on kind of the time frame that that second quarantine hit that would have been the very beginning of 2021 yeah just after new year's yeah yeah the whole country went into lockdown right yeah so that's when i just started looking online for rural properties i mean we have a lot of facebook friends that had moved from the states to more rural places along the Silver Coast and 
they were still out walking their dogs and kind of living life where we were stuck in an apartment and didn't leave our block. You know, it was, we enjoyed having the 40 euro per month Metro pass that basically took us everywhere. But then when COVID happened, we're like, we're not going on public transportation or any sort. So there we were with no car, no transportation. It just felt like the walls were closing in and we needed to just do something different. And we bought a car in July of 2020 because we knew we weren't going to go back on public transit because we had COVID in February when we got back from Madrid and we knew uh-huh. how bad it was for us. Okay. We were not interested in getting it again. Got it. So we bought a car in July. We paid more for parking than we did for health insurance, which is still like blows my mind. But we put it in a garage and we wouldn't even drive it around Lisbon because that was intimidating enough. So we would still take cabs inside Lisbon. But we started leaving the city. So we would take a couple of days and go to a different place that summer when things opened up a little bit during the summer. And that's when really it hit us. Like Portugal is such a beautiful country. Everywhere you go, there is something to see. So Lisbon is not Portugal. Lisbon is just Lisbon. And um, well said. That's something that I think a lot of expats need to realize and get over. Portugal is more than just Lisbon. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think, you know, the same can be true true for when people say the USA is New York City or Los Angeles. Right. Yes, those are the places that a lot of tourists go and that's what they they think. But a majority of the people actually have this kind of middle America lifestyle, right? That's more the average of of the American experience. Very interesting. So I'm I'm very curious to know, uh, did you have several towns or villages that you fell in love with? Or was there one specific place? And then that's why you decided to move there. When I started looking at properties online, the first thing I thought was, well, we need to be near a major city. And it's either going to be Lisbon, Porto, or Coimbra, mostly because of healthcare. Not knowing that a year later, we would be very reliant on that healthcare. And we can talk about that later. We thought Porto, although we love the city of Porto, it just has a different feel for us than Lisbon. We felt that it was too far north. So we kind of drew a circle around Coimbra, like a 45-minute radius, and looked at properties within that, that circle. And that's where we found this house that's in a very small, tiny mountaintop village called Salgaro de Lomba. It's close to uh, Figaro de Svinas, and it's halfway between Coimbra and Tomar. And this area is mountainous. It reminds me of where we came from, just geographically. So it's green, it's mountainous, steep valleys and rivers. And, and so it just reminds me of Pennsylvania in a lot of ways. So it has this feeling that I, you know, obviously I'm not in Pennsylvania, but it gives me that, that comfortable feeling of living in an area like this. Like we went out and got ATVs again, or motoquatros as they're called here. Oh, nice. um, so we can jump on dirt roads and ride for hours. It's fantastic. I mean, the cool thing is that we can actually take the ATVs out to dinner. You can ride them on the road. <laughs> yeah. But we, we frequently take them to the mountaintops and the vistas are just incredible. Yeah. We've sort of recreated our lives from Pennsylvania here in the mountains of yeah. central Portugal. Well, okay. So let's touch on the kind of shift in cost of living. And we can also <laughs> tap in the kind of the health healthcare costs since you brought it up. So. You spent a bit of time in Lisbon, then shifted to a smaller town. 
What were some of the cost differences that you noticed? Well, the apartment that we purchased was 55 square meters. It was about, I would say it was a one and a half bedroom. With a 40 square meter terrace. Yeah. I think let's add that because that has a lot to it. Yeah. yeah. We bought that for 285 Ended up selling it two years later for 295 you know, with all costs considered, we lost money, really. Okay. By the time we paid the realtor's fees and all of that. Yep. We bought a 90-square-foot old stone house that had been renovated 20 years ago. 90-square-meter. Uh, no, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. square meters. With a guest house that had 30 or 40 square meters for 165 now, we're going to put 50 into it easily by the time we take care of all the maintenance and that kind of thing. So, you know, all said, we'll be in 200 probably. Right. And this has almost three quarters of an acre of property, right? And it's got a bio pool and, and orchard. And so this particular property, compared to what you get in Lisbon, I mean, it's it's not even, it's apples and oranges. You're from the, the capital to moving to half an hour outside of another major city. It's just the price comparisons for real estate, it's, I can't say half, but if I feel like it's half or less what you would pay in the city. But as you know, prices are going up everywhere in Portugal. So I think, yeah, you know, we had a realtor tell us a couple of weeks ago, if we sold this with her, she'd list it for 250 So I don't know if it would sell for that or not, but. Right. So I think that's the biggest price difference, right? The cost of food and other things are probably similar. Yeah. You know, we were pretty good at finding out where all the menu de dia restaurants were in Lisbon. Yeah. So we could eat, you know, for eight fifty nine euros for on a menu de dia. Yeah. Back then, before the war in Ukraine, because prices have gone up everywhere. Sure. But yeah. we have a few out here for eight fifty nine euros. You know, that includes everything, as you know, from bread and olives all the way through wine and dessert and coffees. Right. So from that perspective, I would say it's similar. Yeah, prices, I would say, are a little bit cheaper out here, but not always. Like groceries were cheaper in Lisbon than they are here. Right. It's eating out. You can you can find more bargains out here for eating out, but that's, yeah. that's really it. What about the diversity of restaurant options? Do you, do you yeah. find that's difficult? <laughs> so okay. I find that I've gotten much better cooking ethnic food at home. <laughs> okay. So if we go to Coibra, Coibra has sushi and Chinese yeah. and, you know, like all of that stuff. Yeah. What's hard is even Lisbon, that the Asian food scene is a little bit one note. Like we love Thai food. We love Vietnamese food. And that's just not big in this country at all. Not yet, right? There might be one or two restaurants, but it's not common. But Indian food, all different kinds of Indian food, different kinds of Chinese food, that's all over Lisbon. Italian, all over Lisbon. In Coimbra, you can find that. But again, like Thai food and Vietnamese food is hard to find. Mexican food is getting better, but tough. tough. Yeah, you know, we, we lived in the Arroyo neighborhood of Lisbon, right in the center of, of the city. Very close to the Arroyo Mercado. It's a great neighborhood. So within a two-block radius, we had three grocery stores, the Mercado. We had a Shan right downstairs from our apartment, which was convenient during quarantine. Not so convenient every day when the truck pulled up at 7 o'clock in the morning outside of your bedroom window. Yeah. You know, 
was tooting the horn because everyone was parked illegally in the, the truck unloading zone. Yeah. So city like things like that I don't miss about the city, but being able to walk to all of the grocery stores, um the restaurant, ten pharmacias, the restaurant, you know, the different neighborhoods and the different architecture and yeah. I do miss those things. But for me, living here where there's just fresh air and we have a view of the mountains um, from our, our sunroom. And I will say this, just to circle back the restaurants, the Portuguese food here, like if you go out into the countryside, every area of Portugal has its specialties. Yep. And I personally think that the Portuguese food outside of Lisbon is better than what you find in Lisbon. So if you like Portuguese food, which I do, we went out to Tomar this morning uh, to go to a market and we stopped at just a random place for lunch. I had the best lamb and it was eight euros and 50 cents for a huge plate of stewed lamb. It was incredible. And that is, um, I just feel that kind of food is as good, if not better than what you find in Lisbon. And at a great price. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you were talking a bit about walkability in, in your old life in Lisbon. Do you have the same kind of walkability where you are now? Or do you find yourself overly reliant on a car? Definitely overly reliant on a car. I mean, okay, we can walk through the mountains and the woods, and there's really not a destination that we can walk to. There's not a restaurant. There isn't a grocery store. We couldn't walk to the Centro de Saúde. So a little bit of for context, right? The, the village that we live in is only about 12 houses. So there's no infrastructure in our village. The closest cafe is three kilometers away. Oh, wow. And then from there to get to a grocery store, it's a 10 or 12 minute drive. Okay. Which is not awful, right? No. It's only a 10 or 12 minute drive, but to walk, could we walk to Amalur? We could, I mean, but it would be an hour to walk there and you're not shuffling back with groceries. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a different, completely different lifestyle. For sure. I find this really interesting. So I think a lot of people have a misconception and it's probably due to tourism, right? You you come to Portugal, you visit Lisbon, you visit Porto and maybe a Braga or a Coimbra and you think, oh, well, you know, Europeans, they, they live this lifestyle of walking and they're not reliant on cars. And most, I think actually know all of the Portuguese people I know, they own a car. Yep. They drive everywhere, even though like a lot of places they go, it's very walkable. Yeah. Like, have you all found that as well? I would agree with that. And as a rough fact, we kind of had this attitude when we first moved to Lisbon that, oh, we don't own a car anymore. We're taking public transportation, you know, we're helping the environment, you know, all of that craziness that you tell yourself. Um, and, and we were walking everywhere and we were a little bit thinner. I don't know if that's the right word. But <laughs> <laughs> thinner, thinner, as the British people say, we were more fit. Yeah. That's good. So now we have to make ourselves get up in the morning to go for a walk into the woods or something. Yeah. Not that we don't like to do that, but there's no destination. It's not like, oh, I'm going to walk to the local grocery store to get my grocery. Right. That just, you know, doesn't happen. Okay. But I think you're right. Most Portuguese people we know do own a car. Yep. So it sounds like you all are living a different life in terms of headspace as well. You've traded the city for a more rural life. And has that kind of helped out with mental health and being 
more connected to outdoors? I think so for me. Yeah. 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 You know, this move has had a lot of challenges, but not the challenges that we expected. Purchasing the property has been an entirely different experience. And we're two years in and we still don't have the scriptura for the property. We, yeah. Yeah, the big eyes. Why yeah, not? That's the reaction. Why not? That's a story for an entire episode. Right. And we could totally like do an episode on what to know and what not to know when you're buying property in rural Portugal. We've got time. Let's go. Let's talk about it. Okay. So I'm going to give you the short version. This house and the next five houses in a row in our village were purchased 20 some odd years ago by an Englishman who moved here and rebuilt these houses from ruins. We've seen pictures. They were indeed like fall down ruins and he completely rebuilt them. He lived in this house and he sold the other houses successively to other people coming from Britain and bought them as holiday homes. And then he ran the entire complex as um, a holiday destination. Right. So while they weren't here, he would rent out their homes for them. They would come a couple of times a year, so forth and so on. I just want to preface this conversation by saying we don't have the scriptura and I don't want to create any legal issues on top of that fact. We do have a lawyer who is helping us through this and everything is in place for the sale to go through. But there's just been a lot of complication. A lot of delays. I'm going to keep it totally PG. Can you explain what a scrittura is? Yeah. In short, the scrittura is um, signing the deed, signing over the deed from one owner to another. So what happens is we're looking at properties. We fall in love with this place. We um, do a handshake deal with the owner. He tells us a lot of things about the property and the, the adjoining properties, which turn out not to be truthful. So through a very long process, the truth does finally come out. We were able to settle a lot of it. But the end result is, is that in Portugal, it's typical in a village for there to be a village house and on the outskirts of the village to be a little plot of land that is assigned to that village house. And that would be their garden, right? So many times Portuguese people or Portuguese houses don't have an attached um, yard. The yard is on the outside of the village. So this gentleman from England had purchased all of these little pieces of property, but didn't do a good job in putting them in his name and catching up with the paperwork 20 years ago. And it sat unfinished for 20 years so that when he sold it to us, as you can imagine, it was just a nightmare from a paperwork perspective. So there's seven articles of land that make up the entire property that we will eventually own, that we live on. Right. Including an urban piece of property where the house sits. Right. And then rural pieces of property, one where the guest house was built somewhat illegally and where the bio pool sits. So you can imagine that all seven pieces of property were owned by five different families. One family, someone died, and then you know the Portugal laws around the property goes to the inheritance yeah the uh, children and et cetera et cetera yep right so there's there's all these different properties while we're trying to get them transferred we come to find out that one of the owners had died so the man from england who bought that property who paid for it and had a receipt that he paid for it never went to the local township government to get it transferred to his name 
Well, in Portugal, how that works is you both go to the local government to get a transfer. Well, now one of the people involved is dead. So now, now you have to involve his widow and all of his children. There's a lot of legal rigmarole that goes along with transferring property here. And if you let it sit undone, it does not get better. It only gets worse. So he let it sit undone for 20 years. And, I think and to further complicate things in rural Portugal, it's not uncommon that the land is not necessarily registered with the local camera. So it's kind of understood by neighbors that this stick in the ground is where my property starts and yours begins or ends. Right. So there was a little bit of that. Right. And then the final complication, um, the previous owner had gotten sick, which is why he was trying to sell the property in the first place, moved back to England, and he passed away in August of last summer. So now his heirs have to legally sell us the property. So that's added probably another six months, right? Yeah. Because it because of inheritance laws. And and so we had we had used an attorney in the process. We used a real estate agent that was representing us, which is a rare enough thing in Portugal. And we had figured out that there would be complications. We just didn't know how bad it was going to be. So we set up some protections for ourselves. We had time limits and snaps in the contract that would create certain um, procedures. And so what ended up happening is we still have all the money or most of the money. We haven't paid for the property, but we're allowed to live in it because of the way we broke the contract. Okay. So after a certain amount of time, if he didn't have the paperwork ready, we were still allowed to live in. Okay. So we live here. We've been here for a year and a half and we have the money waiting to pay him. And we'd love to pay him and get it done. Okay. We just, yep. we're waiting for him to get his paperwork. I feel like we've just regurgitated a lot. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So, you can tell we're a little frustrated. Yeah, but no, no, no. Does it come through? Do you have any questions? Yeah. So you're, you're cash buyers. So yeah. there's there's no mortgage yeah. that's needed. You were going to be living rent free anyways. You're living like, rent free now. Right. Yeah. The CPCV, which is like the like let's say the security deposit yes. for the property. No. Um, that would be kind of the best way I could translate that. It's a contract basically saying that you'll you'll buy the property and you right. put a bit of cash down. Right. 10%, 20%, how much did you put down? It was 20,000 euros. Right. Okay. So, okay. And, and we kind of, well, we didn't anticipate all the problems. We knew there was going to be some complications. So keep in mind that there were three cultures involved in the sale of this property. The Portuguese culture, the right. British culture, and the American culture. All three extremely different ways yep of buying and selling property. So very good point. We sat down with our trusted friend and realtor in Lisbon who helped us out with this and made sure that we added certain clauses to protect us in the CPCV. And by the way, that has to be written in Portuguese or it's not legal. Right. So he helped us with all of that and then made sure that we have protection. We have yeah. protections in place. Okay, good. So the best advice we would give somebody is to make sure that you have representation and you're dealing with people who know what they're doing, because even when you do, things can still go wrong, but at least you are in a position where you're protected. Yeah. So Josh, you had asked about mental health. and I... That's why you paused. <laughs> so it's been great. Yeah. So <laughs> Living on the mountain in the fresh air and driving my ATV around the mountain is an escape for me and it is completely 
saved my mental health. Having the bio pool is another thing. Situated in such an incredible way that when you're in it, you just see the mountain vista. It's almost like an infinity edge. Yeah. The view is amazing, which is another reason why we fell in love with this property. But to be brutally honest, the first six months, I was not sleeping. Having my American mindset about what a real estate transaction is supposed to look like and knowing to us and knowing how it went in Lisbon was just completely different. So I had to six months in say, look, I need to either chill out about this or like, it's just going to be a horrible experience. Yeah. So I've, I've kind of learned to develop more of a Portuguese attitude about it. <laughs> you know, from some of the locals, even, even some of them will say this is taking too long, but sure. You know, a lot of them will also say, Hey, this is what life is like in rural Portugal. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Real quick on the bio pool. How is it cleaned? How often do you all use it? Is it used for a swimming pool or is it more for looks? I'm going to let Marcus talk about that because he's, he's the pool man. Yeah. So, uh, essentially what it is, is a, a cement hole in the ground that's filled with water and around the edges, there's plants and the plants filter the water. There's a, a, a pump system and whatnot, but the plants are used to filter the water. You have to be very careful about what you put in it because if you kill the plants, you're you know, now you have problems. So the plants, you have to use specific types of plants and a, the right variety of plants. And the microorganisms that live on the roots of the plants eat all of the nutrients in the water. And because the water is very low in nutrients, none of the bad things can grow in it. So, you know, it's certainly not potable. We're not drinking it, but it is completely safe to swim in. Uh, the water's crystal clear. So it's eight feet deep. So it's just, it's beautiful. So yeah, it's totally there for swimming. Last, Fantastic. Last summer during the two week heat wave, it was like 40 plus degrees Celsius over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Oh yeah. I think I spent six hours a day for two weeks in yeah, that I, pool. Yeah. It was a lifesaver because we don't have air conditioning and yeah. we'd rarely use it here on the mountain anyway. We can start using it probably this month. Yeah. Water's a little cool and we'll use it through the end of October. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of cool. I've never owned one before. We've had swimming pools. There's no chemicals involved. Yeah. It is more work than the normal pool um, because you have to manage the ecosystem. So you're always like making sure the plants are okay, cleaning out any extra algae around the plants and watching the pump system. And it's like having a fish tank, right? So there was no fish in it. Okay. You know how a fish tank is like a lot of maintenance? Yep. Same thing with the bio pool, just on a, a bigger scale. Okay. So- Taking a, a broader look at, at your all's experience in Portugal, what were some of the other challenges that you faced making the transition back in 2019? Probably for me, the biggest challenge is the language. We did take the government-sponsored class of 150 hours in Lisbon, which was really, really good. Mm -hmm. That class seems to be offered throughout the country, but various people we speak to have had various experiences. Mm -hmm. From really good to not so good. Yeah. And, and mixed results as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we did pass the class. We have our certificado, um, which is required to apply for citizenship in five years. So I think the language barrier for me 
I don't know that I'll ever get to the same level of Portuguese as where I'm at in English. You know, understanding certain idioms, understanding certain phrases, certain ways people communicate, certain jokes that don't make any sense in English. <laughs> I remember being invited to a party every summer where it's all Portuguese people. And the first summer, that party was a little painful because some of them spoke English, but, you know, some Portuguese people are very careful about their English. Like, they're almost ashamed that it's not good enough, so they won't speak English. I mean, they'll help you on the street if you need help or something. But when you're in a social setting, if they feel like their English isn't up to par, they won't, you know, necessarily go out of their ways. The second year was just out of Portuguese class, so that party was an entirely different experience. Mm -hmm. And then this third summer, I felt like it was a good mix of Portuguese and English. People yeah. were comfortable with us because they knew us for three years. But still, I think the language... I'm going to go to Marcus's experience in the hospital. As his spouse, I was supposed to call the hospital every day to make an appointment to see him. And Portuguese face-to-face -face is one thing. Portuguese on the phone. Right. It's much more difficult. Yeah. That's so easy. Yeah. And it was very frustrating. So I kind of got to the point where when I got to the hospital, they allowed me to make an appointment in person for the next day. So we've had to create workarounds like that sometimes. Yeah. So I think the, the biggest transition, though, with the language is making deep connections with people. And we, we did make Portuguese friends, but our Portuguese friends, most of them, speak uh, fluent English. Right. And so it's a good transition for us, but we usually end up speaking 90% English when we're with them. And, and we'll switch to Portuguese for a little while, but then it always ends up going right. back to English because it's so much easier for them yep. than to hear us butcher. Or I mean, we can work our way around a restaurant, mm. the grocery store. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh. We're good with that. Oh, yeah. Jamie and I are right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My restaurant Portuguese is like C3. Like, if I am I'm there in restaurant <laughs> Portuguese. And Josh, you know how they drop vowels sometimes or just like letters? Sure. So I always tell this story. Our first month here, we had an appointment. We were living in Lisbon. Had an appointment in Malta Estoril, which is near Cascais, right? So we have to take the metro to the regional train. We get off the metro, and I asked the, the conductor, I said, is this the right train, the Comboios, to Malt Estoril? He looked at me and said, Mosturil? I said, no, Malt Estoril. And he kept saying, Mosturil. I said, I don't know where Mosturil I wasn't making the connection at all. I thought it was another place somewhere. And then he kind of laughed yep. and said, I'm joking with you. It is Montesteril, but we say Montreal. Yeah. Montreal, yeah. Right. It's two words that get married together. And oh, that's hilarious. Knows, that can throw you for a loop when you have to get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Marcus, what about you? What was the biggest challenge for you? Well, you know, if we take it back to 2019, like the biggest challenge for me was transitioning out of work into retirement, which is its own set of craziness. And then moving into a big city for the first time and also us spending 24 seven together, right? Like this is a, this is a new dynamic. I mean, you know, that was, I didn't expect the third one. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But no, it's, it's a new dynamic. All right, let's wrap this in a 55 square meter apartment. <laughs> right. Exactly. So what happens is you become to depend on each other 
which we, our relationship has gotten so much deeper. I mean, we've been together 18 years, but the last three and a half have completely changed us, you know, and leveled up our relationship because you have to depend on each other in a way that you just don't when you're living in your native country. Bill and Marcus, I'm so happy to hear that over the past three years, a little more than three years, you guys have really found your feet in a, in a different spot than you thought you'd be initially thinking you were going to be in Barcelona and you've ended up in a, a rural town in Portugal. It's been fascinating chatting with you. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having us. You're welcome to come out and visit us on the mountain sometime. Yeah. We will take you up on that offer. Okay. Nice talking with you, Josh. Thank you. You too. Thanks. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 